On our last episode, Raymond Chimandamba discussed both the large potential, but also some large challenges for absorbent hygiene producers in Africa. And in order to overcome the challenges he mentioned and take advantage of all of that potential in the market, it helps to know what consumers in Africa are expecting when it comes to their absorbent hygiene products. And luckily, Bostic is here to help. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the absorbent hygiene industry. My name is Jack Hughes, and my mission is to help you, the absorbent hygiene article producer, design and produce the best possible products to meet the needs of your customers. On today's episode, we're continuing our conversation with Raymond Chimandamba on the Africa absorbent hygiene market. Over the next 40 minutes, He'll share what trends he has seen from consumers and how companies are responding to those trends before sharing his insights on the informal market in Africa and how to navigate it and on the popularity of different period products throughout the continent. So you've covered the, um, you know, some of the user habits and user preferences, and you've also talked about kind of the results of those on the market and how the market is responding. And, and as you just talked about some of the challenges, I want to dive back deeper into more of the the consumer needs as well. And anyone who's who's listened to our episodes before knows that Bostic we we like to group the consumer needs in, into five different categories, and we call those our our five C's. Those being convenience, comfort, confidence, consistency, and and cost. So I was wondering if we could touch on on each of those, and and you could share a little bit about some of the trends you're seeing in each of those categories. And, and I think we'll, we'll just for convenience sake, no, no pun intended, we'll start with convenience. <laughs> and uh, and I was wondering if you could touch on the, the trend of convenience and, and what consumers are expecting around convenience. Right. So if I can uh, maybe just uh, relate back to, to, to another point I've already mentioned, for example, the packaging plays a role in meeting the mother's needs and hence convenience. So having packs within sort of smaller packs uh, that are more affordable becomes already convenience for mothers where babies, you're making it convenient for them to, to buy more frequently and it fits better with their, their pockets and their income streams. And that always um, helps. And another category that I find fits very, very well within the convenience space is wet wipes. And I find it's one product that Whenever the mothers are introduced to it, they really adopt it very quickly and really stick with it. And it's one of those products that really is so, so easy to build continuous habits with. So the convenience of having wet wipes and when you begin to run promotions of your baby diapers with wipes promotions, I always find those to be very, 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 very successful. And of course, the moment any mother realizes how well your product works and, and if it if it says it, it protects the baby for eight hours and mothers can realize that they definitely can then just stick with the product and it gives them confidence that this product will not leak this product will uh, will protect my child for until you know morning or or whatever case especially when the child is very much still on maybe on just milk only and and that sort of thing and they know that when the baby is wet they can be confident that the diaper will still keep the baby dry and, and that, that sort of thing. 
the other category that we've seen uh, fitting into the whole convenience and comfort and confidence space is wet wipes, especially during the COVID period, especially is one of the products that could uh, sort of uh, one of the prevention options, as it were, especially those with 70% alcohol content, etc. Consumers felt more confident wiping their hands more often with wipes that had maybe 70% alcohol content and those sort of things. And of course, it made them more comfortable to be in public spaces if they have these wipes to use or, you know, all those benefits. And of course, any place that offers wipes or like uh, retailers, for example, we're actually automatically offering wipes. And of course, that gave consumers a more convenience and confidence that they are safe to walk in there and, and those, those sort of things. So those are some of the trends we've seen. And in my view, the main reason as well why pens are growing in the region is also very much partly because I think pens are just a lot more convenient than normal diapers because they they just more sort of they're similar to what we have to put on babies automatically. And if you are to leave a baby with 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 an uncle who, who doesn't have a baby himself, um, it's easier to just simply tell him this is the front. Whereas if it's the other the open diaper, you have to show him which part goes to the front, which is the back, which part goes to the back, and this is how you you use the closure system, etc. You know, so I think pens are just a lot more convenient. That's why they're also just popular with mothers and. When I launched my diaper distribution business in Zimbabwe, for example, the, the, the product I launched in the market uh, in the end was actually pens. And, and I saw it with my own eyes why mothers would actually prefer pens, especially if the price is very close to, to, to open diapers. It is really very much for convenience. And um, also in terms of the other convenience is brought by the kind of features that the, the diaper product has. Like witness indicators, I noticed, yeah, th- those are some of the things that um, mothers look for. And um, the certain features I do notice mothers look for in a diaper, that if it's got stretching ears, it's got Velcro instead of tape, if it's got elastic band on the waist, so they, they know that when the baby makes movement, when they start crawling or whatever case, the diaper will sort of move with their sort of uh, growing activities. All those small things I find give mothers uh, yeah, more confidence in terms of um, whether the, the product is a quality product or not. Again, in terms of comfort, the really, really premium offerings, which of course one expects from the big players, your Casey and, and PNG, especially in South Africa, for example, I find some of the diapers actually have lotion. And they are, of course, when they do have those extra benefits, they're, they're a lot smoother, they're a lot more silky to the touch and of course for any mother who can afford that you find they have more confidence in that product and those um, lovely extras are just nice to have any mother would want to really sort of spoil their child as much as they can so from where i'm sitting i do see those um, those are some of the conveniences that one one has observed playing themselves out in, in in the market and of course something we've mentioned earlier which is the the home deliveries the e-commerce and and those sort of things which was, of course also took hold a lot more during covid we're finding that um, on the retailer part for the, the role they can play for the category is the home deliveries and and those sort of things definitely um something that we notice is, has been very, very, very positive with mothers and, and, and consumers, as it were. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, we we've seen that trend in, in other places as well, where you know maybe the the e-commerce and home delivery was was already slightly established, but yeah, COVID certainly ramped that up, and you know obviously, as you said, no, you know that ramp up and the increase in popularity, you know, certainly happening in Africa as well, which based on your comments on the the convenience and the um, the popularity of you know M commerce, as you as you said earlier, it's no surprise that along with the that popularity of mobile and buying things on on your mobile devices that that home delivery aspect would be you know another expectation for consumers. Now the the next category uh, or I guess the next C in the five C's that I want to touch on was comfort and and you talked a little bit about this with the the discussion on pants as well as some of the product features but um, are there any major trends in in comfort that you're seeing? I would say in terms of comfort. What I do find, especially in terms of the premium products, the, the whole thing about having lotion, I notice uh, is a feature you you find in uh, more premium products, and they tend to also really sort of make a big, uh, you know, noise about it, even in the packaging, basically with a big uh, sort of dropish looking with lotion and and that sort of thing. And yeah, but but even for the more sort of uh, medium tier, I do find features like double leg cuffs are some of the features that I know mothers look out for as a way to, to guarantee themselves that uh, and, and be comfortable that the diaper will not leak. One of the key features they look for is double leak guards and those sort of things. And I think also slowly some of the new trends like a diaper with channels and, and those sort of things, I think mothers are becoming more and more familiar with those kinds of features. And obviously to them, it, it, it does deliver a sense of comfort in the sense that the, the the liquids are quickly sort of um, channeled away and moved away from the the baby's skin. So I do believe um, consumers are becoming more and more and more aware of those uh, kinds of offerings from the different categories. Yeah, yeah, and I, I we saw the the channel cores really take off in Europe, and um, given the proximity of Africa to Europe, no surprise that you know, given how how convenient they are, how how much they add to the the baby skin health and comfort, that those would really take off, and consumers would start to kind of demand those, which is um, you know, I'm sure the why we've seen that that popularity of channel cores grow outside of the European region. And now they're, you know, they're moving into North America, moving into to Latin America and becoming a really popular feature globally. Now the next C uh, we, we wanted to touch on was confidence. And uh, this relates to kind of how confident, if you will, a consumer is in your product or is in, a, in an absorbent hygiene product to do what it's, you know, what it's advertised to do and to meet their needs. So I was wondering if you can touch a little bit on what some of the consumer trends and expectations are around confidence for, for absorbent hygiene products. So in terms of confidence, obviously both in absorbent hygiene products for both, say, baby diapers, as well as uh, even the Femke in both categories, it is absolutely crucial that whether the user or the mother is confident in the product and that the product will do what it says it does. So in terms of Femke products, I do find, for example, the features like with wings definitely are almost a must, um, I guess, because they, they probably also give the additional confidence that for benefits like stay in place and those type of benefits that the consumer may want to, to see. But I may also comment that in terms of confidence, there's a line that uh, one of my distributors in Angola mentioned in a strategy session that something along the lines of 
an Angolan woman would never be confident that a sanitary pad that is less than, I can't remember whether it's 28 centimeters long or 30 centimeters and whatever thickness would protect her well enough, you know? So that again, sort of sums up confidence in a very interesting way that the consumer feels if it is this size and this thickness and these features, I'm confident it will do the things it says it will do, you know? So yeah, the kind of, it's interesting to see the kind of points and features the consumers look for, for them to be confident in a product, as it were. That's really interesting. Some of those kind of cultural and historical preferences that get, you know, kind of passed along from generation to generation and they set up those expectations. And uh, we see this in Latin America as well, where there's definitely the preference um, whether it be for diapers or, or even some period products, that the thicker products have that better reputation because the consumers can see the difference and therefore think it's going to absorb more and be, be you know perform better. And obviously, as you just mentioned, there are people or consumers in Africa that do the same thing. And um, I'm sure that's a challenge for producers to overcome, particularly if they're trying to introduce new technologies that would make a, a product thinner, um, or as you said, you know, channels are, I'm sure we're, we're a tough thing to sell <laughs> early yeah. on. It's, uh, it's always interesting to hear those kind of cultural preferences there. Yeah. So from a, a confidence standpoint, I'm also curious about, you know, the environmentally friendly products are obviously incredibly popular globally, growing in popularity all over the place. And these less mature markets or these maturing markets like Africa or India, that's certainly no different. Their consumers are demanding the same things there. And so I'm curious if you can touch on some of the the demand or expectations around environmentally friendly products or sustainable products and, and what that looks like in, in the African market. So, yeah, it's interesting that in Africa you have I think the best way to sum it up is an experience I had once when I was in a queue in a bank. And I have a sort of elderly lady in front of me and we, we start chatting and we, we exchange uh, some, some pleasantries and we start getting into conversation. She asked me, so what do you do? And I said, I have a diaper distribution business. <laughs> and I always remember a reaction. Basically, literally, things were okay until that moment. <laughs> she had a very violent reaction <laughs> to, <laughs> to diapers. And she, she was very keen to tell me what a nuisance those products are causing to the environment and why can't these mothers actually raise children the way we did? And yeah, basically her view was that diapers are an environmental nuisance and she's not completely wrong because diaper pollution is definitely a big problem in the region and causing a lot of challenges for uh, municipalities and the urban drainage systems, etc. And even rural rivers, obviously, they come from the cities and flow out to wherever else. And all the diapers that are carried in the river end up downstream and cattle are now eating them. So there is those real environmental challenges that are happening with diapers. And of course, we all know what a, a used diaper contains. And once they are in landfills, they also just increase the emissions of methane in those places and the spontaneous fires and all sorts. So one observes that from a regulatory point of view, a few governments and municipalities are beginning to look at this and also partly from pressure from some NGOs and community leaders and traditional leaders and, and all those, those kinds of pressures. And then they need to be seen to be reacting to that. And then we're beginning to see them putting, starting to put pressure on um, 
absorbent hygiene products manufacturers uh, to say, help me solve this problem, you know, and, and slowly one can see some of the governments are actually beginning to, to put, formulate legislations that, that basically sort of are slowly moving towards placing the challenge and the problem at the doorstep of the diaper manufacturer. And looking at other industries, one can also see that there are ways and means of to solve some of the challenges. I've, I've seen it in some of the sectors industries proactively managing these situations before legislation forces them is one way to approach it. But even for consumers, I do notice that features like, you know, like when you, when you wrap the diaper and, and that, uh, that looping thing, uh, for example, to so just get it all into a nice, neat bowl and dispose of it later, all those features that also sort of border on, okay, maybe that one is not so much sort of saying much about sustainability, but the whole issue of sustainable products is definitely coming through. And we're noticing consumers are clearly indicating that it's important from a lot of the research that's being done, that sustainability and how the brand is showing me it's, it's doing something about the environment is important. I think it's also you know slowly coming through and we're seeing some of the manufacturers beginning to wrap their products in jumbo packs that are made of paper instead of you know plastic or those those kinds of features and indeed some of the, the manufacturers i know are even moving towards having sanitary pads that are wrapped instead of plastic this wrapped in paper is one of the distinguishing features or differentiating sort of a stroke sustainable you know benefits you know and, and things like that it's interesting to see how both governments struck municipalities whom we can call this sort of with legislation also and as well as consumers with their preferences and also consumers uh, sentiments coming out in a lot of the research that one reads about how both those parties are definitely showing their concern for how brands even within the sort of absorbent hygiene product space how brands are making an effort to show what they're doing in terms of the environment. So, so both consumers and governments and legislators and municipalities definitely are showing concerns towards uh, what brands are doing in terms of sustainability. And it's very clear. Well, that's, I mean, that's great to hear it. I know in many places, it, it tends to be more consumer driven. You know, I, I think we could say that in the United States, consumers are demanding it and, and companies are responding to that demand. But I guess, at least in my opinion, in, in many cases, the government side or the regulatory side of things are a bit slower to materialize. So I think, you know, you mentioned some of the very, you know, big potential issues that governments have to solve for if these products are getting into, you know, water systems and and disrupting economic activities and things like that. So it makes sense that the governments would want to be very proactive with that, but it it's very good to hear that it's kind of a two-pronged approach. It's not you know, one side being the consumers polling more than, than the other side being government. It seems to be uh, pretty much all parties can agree that this is the, the, way, the way to move towards. And Jack, while we're on that point, what is also very interesting is to note that the governments of Kenya, governments of Tanzania actually banned single-use plastics way earlier than even in the EU. So that point actually makes a very interesting case of how much ahead Africa is in terms of addressing some of these sustainability issues and especially around plastic. And of course, a lot of the absorbent products are made of plastic. But I guess for the government, I think addressing the plastic issue with regards to 
absorbent hygiene products, a lot more complex and intense here. But it's very interesting uh, for me how in Kenya and in Tanzania, those governments actually banned single-use plastics a lot earlier. And of course, what then tends to happen is all these plastic bags will have to be replaced by something else, either paper in terms of the bags that are used or nano-oven. So I think interestingly, more and more, those bags are becoming multiple-use bags in retail made of nano-oven. So I guess in a sense that also adding another nano-oven product, so most likely going to expand the whole nano-oven space uh, within the region, you know, this banning of, of, of single-use plastics, for example. Yeah, and I, I had no idea that the governments of Kenya and Tanzania had been, you know, that far ahead. I, you know, I'd, some, I don't know, some <laughs> bias there, but we, you know, that's not, definitely not news that had, at least that I had heard about in here in the U.S. And, you know, you hear all the stuff in Europe, but yeah, that's obviously fantastic to hear that they were, you know, very quick to respond to that. And obviously there are, you know, downstream impacts on, as you mentioned, the non-wovens industry and the hygiene industry for that in, in different ways. But, you know, it's great to hear that some of the country governments over there be so proactive in the, in the approach to this to help, you know, not only the, you know, environment and pollution standpoint, but also the economic standpoint of the, of their own countries and, you know, making decisions over there that kind of can benefit both both things, both the environment and the economy. Yeah. And by the way, Jack, I also recently read that a legislation, which is obviously pretty much a global legislation called EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility, mm-hmm. um, that will re- re- relates more to sustainability and recycling, etc. So basically, the legislation is uh, basically places the owners on a brand owner and and it's it's normally sort of uh, driven by department of environmental affairs or or similar type of departments or ministries in, in all the countries but i noticed in kenya this epr has just has become law in south africa it became law in may 2021 so that again automatically forces brand owners to say what show me your plan about what your brand is doing to reduce pollution or impact on the environment, et cetera, et cetera. So invariably, brand owners have to show that this is my plan for collecting the packaging after the consumer is finished using the product. So for example, in the, in the case of beverage owners, they must show how those PET plastics are collected uh, after use. And um, I guess at some point, even diaper brand owners or absorbent hygiene brand owners will have also to show what are you doing to ensure that your product is going to come back either to you or is disposed of responsibly after the consumer has finished using the product? So all those developments I anticipate will definitely have a significant impact on sustainability and, and of course, the, the category. Definitely. Yeah, I think that, that as you mentioned, the, the EPR regulations that that come out it's certainly not going to pass over the the absorbent hygiene industry you know we're seeing a lot of brands in our industry f- trying to focus on recyclability or or you know some sort of improved end of life scenario and you know that yeah the responsibility is definitely going to be pushed more onto the brand owners to to figure that out and yeah it'll definitely have a big impact on, on our industry and as well as on suppliers because the adhesive, for example, are going to be able to need to bond as well as separate. So products can be recycled properly or be, you know, torn apart properly. And 
and as well as you know the recyclability of any other of the products that or materials that go into these absorbent hygiene products are all need, going to need to not only function in the constructed product but also function well enough in whatever that end of life scenario is and so yeah definitely some new pressures and uh, regulations that the industry will be facing with with some of these as you mentioned the the EPR the the progress and the calls for more EPR type regulations yes so one thing that I I wanted to ask about that came up in in some of my research and and discussions with other people in the industry I think this is something that is still a factor in the economic picture in Af- in parts of Africa is what some people refer to as like the informal economy. It's, I guess, kind of, for those who aren't familiar, the portion of the economy that is somewhat unregulated, you know, where, you know, shop owners might not necessarily be paying taxes or, you know, transactions are happening off the books. And I'm curious if that's a factor in the sale or or of some absorbent hygiene products in the region and if that influences decisions by brand owners? Yes, it exists. The informal channel, to be honest, in the whole of the region is actually bigger than formal retail. Informal retail sector is bigger in every African country than the formalized uh, retail sector, actually. That is a fact. So, and also then the informal takes a whole variety of forms. So some of them are actually out right out in the, the open, totally open market. But what, what I've found to be very interesting is how, for example, to just give a small comparison with other products, like say detergent, uh, say in Nigeria, I know Unilever would even have a bulk pack of say 12 and a half to, you know, kgs that is sold specifically with that in mind that the person would then go and resell this by the cup. So somebody would buy that uh, that uh, bulk pack of detergent and resell it by the end of the day by the cup to the lady within the neighborhood who does the laundry on a weekly basis, but probably can't afford the current packs that are on the market, for example. And a similar example to that within our sector, uh, the nano-ovens absorbent hygiene industry would be somebody buying a jumbo pack of diapers and then selling them one by one and just putting them in a plastic, even a clear plastic bag, the same plastic bag maybe that we would put a loaf in the supermarket, but basically it's just buy the same pack and put either single or twos or threes or even fives of diapers to a mother who is buying who wants smaller packs of the brand that she likes, but it doesn't come in those smaller packs, for example. So those are some of the things that would happen within the formal sector. and. Again, you find brand owners to just fit into that model. They would be available in the formal retail where all the other sort of category management initiatives like promotions, end of the month, and loyalty programs, and all sorts of other key account activities would happen. But they still would have a channel that services the informal market whereby they ensure they have a, a depot that is close to some of the bigger informal markets. And this I have seen in Nigeria, where literally every store in that open market has, for example, pampas diapers. And you're asking yourself, so where are they all buying them from? And I said, yeah, so there is PNG depot, for example, that was actually specifically close to some of the bigger informal markets. So that, again, is the brand owners will do 
to make sure that they fit into that whole informal channel model. And uh, I may comment that I've also seen, for example, at one point in Nigeria, much as the, the informal market was big, I remember at one point you could not break bulk and sell diaper in one by one at that time because no mother would accept somebody else, you know, touching the diaper that's going to be on my, go onto my baby's skin. I found that interesting. I would have expected maybe because they're poor, they can't afford the bigger pack, they might, you know, probably just accept this. But I found it very, very interesting that it was not happening in Nigeria. But now I find with time, it, it actually now is. Uh, years later, I found it was beginning to happen. But I, I just really found it such an interesting phenomenon. But whereas in all other markets, like in Angola, I was seeing it where a seller would, would be breaking a, a jumbo pack by size and just basically putting them, repacking them in a clear plastic bag and tying it at the end and yeah, and selling it like that without a problem. So it is quite interesting, but the, the informal channel definitely does exist. And consumers will buy in both the informal channel as and even maybe oscillate between the informal channel as well as the modern trade. Basically, they will buy the jumbo pack end of the month at payday. When that finishes for the remaining weeks, they're back to buying five packs from the informal channel until month and again, and they'll go back there. So for the brand owner, it's actually quite important to understand the purchase rhythms of the consumer so that you also get the timing of your promotions correctly and the right packs of or correctly that maybe your your five packs and whatever, if you do want to put them on promotion at all, you put them end of the week. Whereas your jumbo packs come on promo end of the month. And those kinds of sort of purchasing patterns is what you have to find a way of fitting into. That's so interesting. And it's interesting that you said the the brands, you know, kind of embrace that a bit and, and understand that that's, you know, as you said, yeah, the informal economy is even larger than the, you know, the formal modern economy. And Brands have found a way to to make that work and fit in there and and fit that into their, as you said, their business strategies, their marketing strategies, and you know it's just it's just how it works. And it's really interesting. So the the other thing that I wanted to ask on before we wrap up here is um, we've seen in other markets the growth of other types of period products or or menstrual health products outside of, of pads, and I'm curious if you've seen growth of products, not just sustainable products like maybe the menstrual cups or the menstrual discs, but also like tampons, if those have grown in popularity in in the region in, in recent years at all, or if it's still primarily dominated by, by the pads? I think pads definitely still very much probably the, the, the biggest portion of sort of menstrual solution offerings. But what one also observes is because of the price points pads come at versus uh, the average consumer, especially the lower end consumer, the affordability is an issue. So a lot of girls are still missing class because of inadequate menstrual protection, etc. So a lot of NGOs are doing rather quite a lot to bridge that gap. And some of them are coming up with all sorts of initiatives whereby they have reusable pads made out of cloth and teaching young girls and women how to make them so that they even have an income generating opportunity from it as well as using it for themselves, those type of initiatives. So I do see a lot of 
solutions outside the normal heads. And of course, I've also noticed in markets like, say, Angola, where you have Angola and Mozambique on either side of the continent are the two Portuguese-speaking markets. And of course, they borrow a lot from Latin America, Brazil, and those places. So the whole trend of you know, going to the beach and looking good at the beach and, and all, all those sort of things certainly exists. And of course, borrowing from Rio and, and, and all those kinds of, kinds of places. At one point, I had a distributor who, who, who was launching tampons, for example. And in the same way, you would want to, say, approach somebody coming out of club with an energy drink because, you know, they probably need, uh, if they're coming out of the club and they're going to the office or, or going to work during the day, they might need, you know, something to keep them alert. Uh, so you <laughs> go to the club to find such a consumer. In the same way, they deliberately went to the beach to sell their um, tampon-type product because they found in such places where you would find somebody would need this kind of solution because they want to look good at the beach and whatever, despite whatever else may be happening with their body. You know, So tampon is a better solution than pads would be, so they know here is where we would find our likely consumer. And they were quite clear and specific that when we were launching the tampon version of our brand, this is where we came, you know, so I found quite interesting. So yeah, those are some of the other options outside the sanitary pads, you know, for FMK solutions that, that I've observed in, in the region. That's really, that's really interesting. And obviously a, a great example of really knowing, knowing your audience and knowing your customer and where to, where to target them. Very true. Very true. I think you've covered a lot. You've opened my eyes to a lot of stuff that's happening in, in the Africa market that I, I definitely was was not aware of. And so, Raymond, I just want to thank you again for, for joining the podcast and sharing your, your experience and expertise on the region. I know our audience will greatly appreciate it, and I, I really appreciate it. So, so thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, Jack. It was a pleasure. So there you have it. From the last two episodes you not only have a clearer picture of the size and potential of the Africa market, but also better understand what challenges you will need to overcome in order to find success in this growing market. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and is hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Paul Andrews, Shel Tonkovitz, Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. We'd like to extend a special thank you to our guest today, Raymond Chimandamba. You can follow Raymond on LinkedIn, where he is sharing insights on the Africa market from both the absorbent hygiene and other sectors as well. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.